Hey, you guys, and welcome back to the So Luck Side podcast. I'm so excited that you're here. So this week today is Veterans Day. Um, you know, shout out to all of our vets. Thank you so much for your service and your sacrifice to our country, the blood, sweat, and tears, um, even the deaths that people have um, gone through for our country so that we can be, you know, a safe nation and be where we are today, have the freedom as we so-called that we have. So today I have attorney Winters and you can check him out on veteransdefender.com. I'm so excited that he's here. So how are you attorney Winters? You know, I'm, I'm doing well. Uh, thank you, uh, Chris, Crispin for allowing me to be on your show. I'm really excited about being on Solux Life. Oh, I'm excited to have you. So I'm going to give some people some time to join and we will be right back. So everybody, you guys like this video, make sure you share, tag a friend. Welcome to the So Lux Life podcast, where our goal is to enhance the mental, physical and spiritual luxuries in life. Make your life luxurious through knowledge, coaching, training and technique. Visit us online at soulluxlife.com. Here's your host, Crispin J. Watson. you guys enjoyed that short intro from there i had to share with everyone shared with my mom she said she was going to tune in i told her that one of her former students was coming on here <laughs> so so attorney winners so for the people that don't know you kind of introduce yourself tell me a little bit about you where you grew up and how you got to where you are today um well actually uh i grew up in grenada mississippi um and uh i'm an attorney uh Laura, because it was my childhood I had two dreams. I wanted to be a military officer. I wanted to be an attorney. Uh, I didn't know which path to take me. But um, I think, you know, throughout having uh, great mentors, great leaders, uh, whether military or um, or civilian, I had good people to kind of give me the guide path to, to what it would take to be a good lawyer and be a good commander. Uh, so one of those was your mother. Uh, she, she taught me sing English, uh, and so she actually was pretty exact with her pen uh, that she uh, was very, uh, she allowed great constructive criticism and a good dialogue, allowing me to understand the pedagogical process of writing and why it was so important to write well and speak well. So and those are great tools that helped me in the practice of law, going through the training through law school and postdoctorate law school as well. 
Oh, nice. Yeah, she used to get on to me when I was little. And you just be over there talking anyway. She would correct me so fast. <laughs> but I appreciate it. it. It helped me get to where I am today. So you said you, you wanted to be a lawyer growing up um, and you wanted to do something with the military. So you joined the military, I'm assuming? Yes. So um, when I was a, a senior in high school, I, I, I looked very strongly at joining the Marines. Uh, and, but I came from an army family. I came from like some people work at the work at Exxon and they work at GM, dad, the granddad, the grandmother, whatever, everybody worked there. And so it's part of the family process. My family is a family of, I guess you would say warmongers. We've been in the army and that's what we're in. We all joined the army. So, uh, um, you know, it, it became a tradition. My big brother's like, no, you're not joining the Marines. You're going to the army. You can go to ROTC. Uh, so I, um, I enlisted first in the Louisiana National Guard, and then I joined ROTC at Southern University, where I gained my commission and got active duty. I did. I went through ROTC, and I was commissioned uh, in December '99 as I graduated from undergrad, and then I went on and started uh, my military career. And then I got accepted into law school. Left law, left the army to uh, go to the reserves. I uh, go to law school. Um, after we started law school, the very next year, September 11 happened in 2001, and um, I was taken out of law school and sent to Afghanistan in 2002. Wow. Uh, war on, on terrorism. But I was able to go to the work, finish law school, and then uh, kind of really kick off my military career. Uh, so I had the chance to do that, served um, with my enlisted time in. Officer Tom, a total of 23 years. Uh, and, and as I got ready to, to retire from the military, I was able to go back to law school again and get mm -hmm. two law degrees, uh, one in international law and energy, environmental, natural resources law from the University of Houston Law. I graduated from Southern University undergrad and Southern University Law School, but I got two postdocs from the University of Houston. But throughout my military career, I had the privilege of working in really exciting international spaces. So I was deployed naturally multiple times. Mm -hmm. um, I was able to work in embassy work where I was working with Office of Military Cooperation in Kuwait. And in Europe, I worked at the Lithuanian and Estonia with the embassies and ambassadors there serving as their the Baltic operations officer. So I had the chance to live all over the world see the world uh, and, and get a lot of experience. I also served as a civilian life. I served as assistant attorney general for the state of Louisiana. Um, and I was able to do civil uh, prosecutions um, and gaming prosecutions on behalf of the state, uh, serving as a regulator and a prosecutor uh, there with the Louisiana Department of Justice. And um, I retired there uh, and I launched uh, Veterans Defender. I had a passion to help veterans their family members. Um, there's 22 million veterans in the United States out of the 330 or so million Americans. Um, and that small percentage of people, men and women, have worn the battle and worn this uniform. And I think it's, uh, even though it's only a million veterans, that number, if you add their family members in it, puts us at about 88 to 90 million Americans that are impacted by these veterans in their household. And so uh, it's important that they have serves as an advocate or provide legal services or stand up for them and defend. Them. And that's 
that's what we do. Um, so the two dreams kind of meet at this at this intersection, and, and I think it's uh, a testament to all of the people that um, I think poured into me, including your mother, my home church, Bellflower, and all of its members, my family naturally, and all of the hard work, painstaking effort that they did to help me, uh, my mother, uh, Oregon Winter, and uh, my parents, Lomay uh, uh, Turner, uh, my best friend, Erica Winters, you know, uh, Roy Turner, all of these leaders that poured into me mm -hmm. that helped make me who I am today. Oh, wow. So you would say like mentorship and having someone to really look up to is very important um, regarding getting to where you are now. Uh, without a doubt, uh, you know, and, and even peer to peer mentors, you know, I've had mentors at every level I've had. I've sought out uh the most talented people in the room that I can mock and uh, and emulate, right. and uh, you know, and I think that that helped give me a path toward uh, success in life. I mean, I have so much more to learn, but I do have the capability of looking to the to try to learn from them. Um, you know, I lucked up and I've met uh, countless really good leaders that care about the betterment of what's happening. And so they'll look out and, uh, and give back to you if you ask. And as a mentee, I did the work. I made it easy for them to mentor me. I'm always, I'm always writing down what they say. And I think that helped me a ton as well. Mm -hmm. Most definitely. So not being afraid to get out there and really ask someone to help you to be humble enough to know that you like you don't know everything. Um, there's always room to learn. <laughs> um, so what are some obstacles that you faced? I would say kind of with the army, the transition from going to law school. Um, I actually see what I thought I wanted to be in life was a lawyer. I took the LSAT, did all that, got into law school, but life happened <laughs> and I didn't go. So I know the process and that test is not easy. So like I know the process. Did you ever have to overcome any obstacles with like stopping school, then getting deployed and then trying to get back in the room, going back to school? Or did you ever feel like you wanted to give up? Uh, no, I, I don't think I ever felt like I wanted to give up. Uh, I kind of do. Uh, I live by this kind of military creed where you kind of taught one thing uh one bite at a time like how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time like you can't you can't consume these overwhelming life events all at the same time mm. a smart way to do it is just take it one bite at a time so let me as a side let me encourage you you still can go to law school it's not too late Southern university law center is an exceptional law school and they <laughs> talented leadership over there, my mentors over there, uh, you know, so you, you, there's a good time. But but back to your question for me is I, I do believe um, that the challenges uh, were not necessarily school related and career related. The challenge uh, that a lot of veterans face is after service or after a big deployment, um, reconnecting with the family is always a challenge. Mm. Roles of Responsibility. So, you know, if you think um, I've had three of my soldiers complete suicide, I had a soldier, we'll call him Sergeant G. Uh, when we were in Afghanistan, you know, uh, he was a great friend, great mentor. Uh, uh, he was an enlisted man, but he was really, he had a, a lot of good experience that he could share with me 
while we were there Orlando. and months after we returned he died by suicide when we uh, another deployment uh, we left and and one of my soldiers was really experiencing uh serious depression and anxiety and one of my non-commissioned officers let's call him sergeant as a he took that soldier took him under his wing we put him we made him stay in his barrack and put this and so he nursed him back to health made him back strong made him back resilient had him getting treatment got him back restored and when we got back the leader sergeant a died by suicide within a month from us getting back from that deployment Wow. The day that we returned, a leader who was a great friend of mine, I was her commander in Atlanta, Georgia. We had been on mission, mission after mission together. She was from Baton Rouge. The day we returned from that same deployment I'm referring to, I called to the commander and I called to check into the unit. And and the leadership there told me, hey, um, Sergeant First Class B, uh, died by suicide this morning. So I've had three soldiers who they all had family, you know, they all had friends, they all had parents, they all had people who loved them, and they had died by suicide. So back to your question is that what were the challenge? The challenge is like me and to everybody, all of these other you sometimes run into challenges of reintegrating yourself into your normal society, the expectation who's who's in charge. If you've been out running a war, your partner has been back home raising the, paying the bills, confronting traffic, dealing with life. You're out being told you're a hero because you're fighting a war on behalf of all America. But the your partner is and kids have done all of this what they normally do without you, and so you can't you can't bring that I'm in charge role from a war back into the home, you know? So some of the challenges is the ebbing and flowing of that reintegration process. I think that's a natu uh, natural challenge that people have. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it, you know, wars work if you have, and, and while you're at war, you have to only focus on war. You don't get the luxury of saying, oh, did the dishes get done? Or did they cut that grass? <laughs> You know that the skit that the kids get to school on time. That's important to you, but not not in you, that moment. You you got to be worried about a roadside bomb. You got to be making sure that you get back onto your base. Like this is snipers. These are the kind of uh, things you have to worry about. And then when you come back, Lord says you make it back. Then you you have to focus. You have to shift that focus and now focus on. Hey, is the grass cut on time? How can I assist? How can I, you know, um, and oftentimes those connections, the military tries to do a good job in integration, but those are some of the challenges. The next challenge is, um, you know, maybe if you look at something simple as school or career, you go from, we figured out a way to defeat the enemy in battles and bring our people home. It's hard for me to get excited about a, uh, PowerPoint presentation in some, in some <laughs> <laughs> or in a minute, like, what are we talking about? Right, yeah. like my focus just isn't right here on that right now. So. so those are some of the challenges is, is trying to get up for things that you feel 
this isn't so serious. Like, oh, let's have a potluck. Who's going to bring the potato salad? <laughs> <laughs> like, that's really not important compared to what's going on in the world. <laughs> so those are some of the challenges. Re you know, getting back on that human level, letting go that that wartime experience, getting back into, hey, you're human, we're citizens, let's just get through the day. And again, one bite at a time. Oh, most definitely. Um, so would you say the Army changed you? Um, you witnessing people that you had been around closely dying and taking their own lives and seeing people dying, you know, in war, has that changed how you think about life and views? life and society now? Oh, I think naturally. I think um, if anybody who has had the, the privilege of service, really just basic training, we're in the reserve of guard. If you just go um, and go and recondition yourself to understand one of the things that everybody has in common, the commonality, the typicality, and the, um, that, that all of the numerous people who have ever served, the 22 million veterans that are currently Mm -hmm. One thing they all, no matter what service, the Marine, Air, Air Force, soldiers and sailors all have one comment, that they raise their right hand and say, I'll defend this country against all enemies, foreign and domestic. What's the understood subject of that statement, as your mother would say, what's the understood subject of that sentence? You, the understood, the understood, uh, you know, kind of uh, prepositional phrase of that is with my life. I will defend all of this. These uh, against all enemies, in this nation against all enemies, foreign and domestic. What is not written, but is understood, is with my life. That prepositional phrase is understood by us. And that, and because what can you defend the country with? Just guns? No, it is. The only thing that's between us and any enemy is our lives. And so uh, once you kind of have that seriousness of purpose and understand that um i think it's that kind of allows uh things to kind of come full circle that the military does change uh for that uh, but it also you need you got to figure out a way to flow back into society because at some point you become a c civilian like i am you are we can't be deadly serious all the time you know that was that time this is you have to you have to figure out whatever your anchor is mm -hmm. to as opposed to defending things with your with the ending of your life defend things love things not to death but love them to life and so as a civilian that's my new mantra i love my four-year-old daughter to life you know love loving things to life allows you to have that anchor of positivity and shifting out of that deadly serious military life and shifting over to the lively civilian life. Do you feel like there are there could be better resources that the army could provide um, to help people with that shift from going from like war zone back to the civilian world? Um, yeah, well, yeah, I, I do. I think we can always do better. Like anybody who says, "Oh, we've done good work," no. Uh, <laughs> and, and what the most appropriate place. They all could do better. The military could do better. The military has helped shift the stigma from the quote unquote battle. The military has done a decent job to get people into their feelings. Hey, you need to go talk to someone. Get act, making it easy to set an appointment 
and it not be looked on it. You just have on your calendar an appointment and no one knows what, well, it's a knee injury or whatever appointment you're mm -hmm. going to appointment. No one cares that as long as you're still doing your best to do your work. And to be honest with you, if you're, if you're, Hey, look, if you, if you don't have it anymore, you can't do the gig anymore. Maybe it's time to you know, kind of go. No, these are jobs. They're really dangerous. And so, um, allowing the space to be truthful, maybe take the uniform off the civilian uniform. There's plenty of civilian professionals that still serve the army, serve the government. And so that may be a different route, or you may want to start your own business of helping others. So, um, I think, uh, they've done their, that here's who's got to get better. I said, there's 22 million veterans, the exclusive remedy for injury that have been, that you've sustained in the military service, the exclusive remedy, you can't go get um, compensation. The exclusive remedy is going through the United States Department of Veterans Affairs and filing um, for veterans benefit through the Veterans Benefits Administration and filing a claim to get benefits for the injuries that you sustain because those injuries reduce your capability of earning mm -hmm. um, gotten hurt in the, in the service. So you can't sue the army because I got a knee injury now. I can't sue the army. So there's a U.S. Supreme Court case called the Ferries Doctrine that stops you from being able to sue the military. So it says exclusive remedy is at the United States Department of Veterans Affairs. I said 22 million veterans. We were at a point two years ago at 22 veterans per day were dying by suicide. Put those numbers into each other and tell me how terrifying that could be. Wow. 22 veterans, 22 veterans per day were dying by suicide. Now, if we look at that, um, that number has been reduced today. If you look at the numbers, the study went from 22 to 21 to 20. You see people doing push-ups, 22 push-ups per day for 22 days. They're doing that for, you know, to honor veterans, uh, to bring awareness about veterans down by suicide. Mm -hmm. Well, that number has been technically reduced down to 17 uh, deaths by suicide. But if it was just one, uh, Ms. Watson, I would tell you that number is too many. Uh, and the way that we have to do it is not only that we reduce that stigma in the military that, hey, you can go get help, the societal expectations is we can't look at these men and women and expect them to continue to be superheroes all their lives they serve. Sometimes they're tired. Sometimes they're afraid even in civilian. They're not in the military. We've reduced the stigma. They're in, in the veteran's life. He may be afraid to tell his boss at his job down at the shipyard or at the plant or something where he or she is afraid to say, hey, uh, I got to go to a doctor's appointment. Then they want to, know, you know, you say you got HIPAA, but sometimes people pride. They want to know what your point is. What's going on? They act like they're concerned. They really just want to know what you have going on. <laughs> and be nosy. Uh, but, but the truth is none of that matters when it comes to your life. If this is going to help you quarterback, you know, I look at, at, at therapy. I try to advise my clients that look at therapy as, hey, man, this person is helping you quarterback your life. Hey, man, this person is helping you kind of see, sort through some, you know, the CEO of a company and you're the CEO of your life. You're the CEO of your life and I'm the CEO of my life. So as, as, a, as a CEO, I would like to have a chief financial officer. 
who can help me run the finance portion of this company. And then I'd like to have, and so I go to my banker and my financial advisor and they serve as a CFO of my company, my life company. Then the same thing as a chief operating officer. I have someone to help me quarterback my I have business partners that help me run uh, in our own defense podcast. I have uh, uh, staff that help me run Veterans Defender and Restic Veterans Week. So we work through those things because I can't do it all by myself. So having someone to help you quarterback your is simple. Don't look at them as a mental health counselor provider. Look at them as a quarterback that's helping you. You're the quarterback, but sometimes you need a coach. That's, hey, throw it this way. Don't throw an interception to right. like football. So I think those are the ways that we're going to get better. The VA has a duty to provide these services. Uh, and and, and it's a, there's a big Eighth Circuit case, U.S. versus Brown. I won't bore the listeners with that. But it says neither niggardly nor negligently. And I know that sounds like a heart, but it's really spelled just like that. Um, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> Neither niggardly nor negligently, the uh, has a duty to carry out giving out these benefits and making sure these yeah. veterans, uh, men and women, are made whole. Neither niggardly or neg- uh, negligently, and you, they can Google it, and I'll be able to uh, read the the long, long, long verbatim dictum of it. Um, but but the truth about it is, they have a duty, and we as Americans, just like we went to the voting booth. We have to hold them accountable. We held General Shinseki accountable under Obama administration. He was terminated for not being stronger with the VA taking care of the veterans. This is Veterans Day. Start off as Armistice Day, meaning signaling uh, signaling the end of of World War One, and then it grew into us honoring the service of men and women. Uh, Lincoln said best when he said that you know he was going to fulfill that duty to all of those. Um, those service uh, members who had served in um, and um, the um, the Battle of North and South, the Civil War, uh-huh. uh, the Romans. You know, if you look ages before that, the Roman legionnaires. What they did is each one of those legionnaires were given land. The duty to take care of our veterans has been. This has happened in all great societies, all great countries. Because we want to incentivize our people. If you go to war and this is what we believe in, uh-huh. then we will honor you and, and take care of you when you get back. Because we know that you would have reduced your capacity um, and your family's capacity by service. And and that's that's what I think. The VA has to get better. So you feel like they should do more than what they're currently doing? Like Yes, ma'am. What like financial wise, you think they should be doing more than what they're um, compensating veterans for? That of, I believe it should be less confrontational. Right now, uh, I represent scores and scores of veterans who like I, this shouldn't even be a job. It should. <laughs> this shouldn't even be a law firm. <laughs> I, like, Somebody has to do it though. But someone has to do it. You know, I, my, the bulk of my work should be defending people in trouble on active duty. And I'm doing their JAG work. And I do that as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and when you call 877 winners, these poor men and women who've been injured, they, they've all but given up. You know, at times veterans are in my office crying. Thank God I'm an attorney and counselor at law. And so I can receive that. Uh, but it's it's so sad. We, they there used to be there is a thing your people can your, your your listeners can look this up. Veterans 
at a certain point, this has gotten so bad, veterans were going to the VA just to kill themselves. Just to kill themselves? They were dying in the parking lot. They were killing themselves, dying by suicide, not killing themselves. Dying by suicide. There's been several, 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 several incidents of veterans being so frustrated with the process. Think about this. It's so long. I, I know people that are currently going through it and they say they've been going through the process a year. And I personally had to go through yeah. a situation dealing with the VA because um, my son's dad is a veteran. But anything dealing with like the army and the process, it takes forever. And they will send you the same paperwork over and over and over and over again for you to fill it out. Like like they're hoping you don't fill it out and just get frustrated and not send it in. Um, so I definitely agree on there. Um, so what 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 can people do to get them to kind of better their process or streamline it more and make it more convenient or easy so a person isn't waiting two years for like disability benefits? Well, in some cases I have veterans who've been waiting four, five, six years. So there's a lot of pit, there's a lot of uh, layers to the process at the uh, United States Department of Veterans, Veterans Benefits Administration, which was one of the three subheads of uh, organization uh, to include the cemetery and the uh, health associate administration. So for benefits, they've done a good job under the Obama administration. Benefits uh, delivered before discharge. So they put them in place where it's to, when you're getting ready to retire or you're getting ready to get out, mm -hmm. six months before you get out, you fill out your application, show them all of the injuries you think incident to your service. Injuries mm -hmm. and that you had that you did not have when you first started. Or so since day one, you have to keep up with this like from when you first joined up until whenever you retire. If you're younger, you, those records are, are kept pretty well. Whereas to, you, you're gonna go to a, a military facility, they're gonna upload those, scan those, they're gonna take that. Yeah. And if you're older guy, like old crusty guy like me, you know, <laughs> Back in my service, a lot of this paperwork wasn't digitized. So oh, you yeah. always kept in your unit. And so th that's all sent to a, an archive. And then you can request that and have it uploaded. The VA, you can make the VA request it, find those. Unfortunately, some of that paperwork just gets lost. And, oh, yeah, of course. And, and, um, and that's where the challenge comes, you know, because if everybody just walks in and says, oh, I'm so hurt. Our government could afford to give 22 million people a check for, you know, for for thirty five hundred to, you know, for you know we'll try, like I can't sleep at night. Like, <laughs> so they have to vet it. Right. Because it has to be serious. They're, they're stewards of taxpayers money. So let's look at it from that standpoint. Mm -hmm. Let's you were the, the VA worker and I'm the vet. And I, if every veteran that looks like just walked in and says, oh, my knee, my back, my knee and my back. <laughs> <laughs> that song, I think my neck, my back. <laughs> so if, <laughs> if everyone came in to your office and made the same complaint, there needs to be some sort of scientific scientific vetting of this. So if we look in their military career and, and their record, and they've never been to the hospital, they've never been to a clinic, they've never been to a doctor. And not only did they, the records show that they never, they admit. Well, I never went to the to the doctor, 
then it brings about, mm, okay, we need a scientist, a doctor or provider to be able to say, well, in my opinion, if he ran and he jumped out of planes, if she she did this kind of stuff, she was in combat in this theater and she was blown up in, it is more than likely that the ringing in her ear or these headaches that she's she's getting, um, um, if she suffered from you know something as, as egregious as that, uh, these veterans, it's more he can the doctor uh, he or she can say it is more likely that that this kind of injury that this veteran is claiming is associated back to this veteran service. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so that's when you can have that. That's called. Um, that's their nexus. That's where the doctor said, here's the trigger. This was more than likely related to that. Or the doctor said, well, there's nothing that shows me that this would have uh, been related. Or they can say, you had that before you entered the military. And, you know, we go back and look at your records from when you first joined. There's that physical. That's mm-hmm. what we take the body out. And if they said you had that before, we don't. Uh, we don't think it has gotten worse. Their doctor says it hasn't gotten worse. You had this before you joined the military and nothing in your service shows that it would have been compounded. Your service included just going to drill on weekends and you never went to war and you did that for three years and you got So you just went and drank beer on weekends and you didn't, like, there was nothing you did. Right. And that's, that's one opinion. Well, my opinion is if you did basic training push-ups, you could have injured your back. If you did long rucks and roll marches for 10 miles, 15 miles, that could have injured your back, strained your neck, pinch your nerve, have your hip out of alignment. Once your back's out of alignment, the backbone's connected to the hip bone, the hip bone, <laughs> knee bone, knee, you know, all of these things, your body could have been out of the line. And if you're suffering from this pain, it could be to the level of what's called chronic pain. And... Um, you know, they, they have, there's so many things that could have, that could have triggered or initiated, uh, the pain that you're going, you're going through, uh, from your service. And that's why we used, um, great research, great talented doctors and professionals to be able to evaluate our clients, to give them, uh, that, that leg to stand up because, the VA um, decision makers aren't perfect. They oftentimes they're just lay people. They're reading some training that they've gone through, but they're not doctors. They, these yeah. guys, doctors, they're not lawyers. They're just people who work at the VA. And then so they it's really up to these unlicensed professionals to determine whether or not your injury um, should receive compensation. Definitely, yes, yeah. They have some training, but they don't. Ha- they're not. They they may send They're not medical the, professionals. They oh, just have opinions. No. And so that's if they don't see anything in the record, right? But mm-hmm. uh, they don't see anything in the record. They'll say, we don't see anything in here that shows you ever went to the doctor for this. You never went to the doctor for this. Now, if there is something, then you get what's called a VA exam. You get a VA examination. And that exam is the thing that that's where you get that nexus. So they'll have a VA doctor or nurse practitioner or physician assistant, a, a provider um, to evaluate you. Um, and once they evaluate 
give you, they'll be able to opine on whether or not this was service-connected injury. Mm-hmm. And if that's where that medical certainty that they're bringing to the table determines. But we even check that. If that doctor, um, we, we check the variety of that, like in any other courtroom, if you get up here and get to talking about you're an expert, I want to see how much of an expert you are. I'm an expert, <laughs> but I want to know how much of an expert you are. I'm not just going to tender you as an expert because you went to PA school, or you went to nurse practitioner school, or because you went to just because you went to medical school don't mean you're an expert in what I'm doing. Just because I went to law school wouldn't make me an expert in veterans law. Mm-hmm. You know, the countless number of cases that I've done. What makes me a, a talented lawyer is because I work my butt off and read and study and study and study. The three law degrees don't make me an expert, but they do tend to show that I have expertise when it comes to international law, international affairs. I've been in, worked in these rooms in international law, so I mm-hmm. I know that experience. I know energy, environmental, natural resources law, and that's what tends to lead me as an expert. But if, if I have a medical uh, provider who is not an expert in this field and he's opining on migraines, he's not a neurologist, <laughs> you know, psychologist or a, or a psychiatrist. Most definitely. And they're, you're opining on that, then I'm going to check you out the door. No, this person is not an expert. Look at their bio. Your VA rep is not about, I'm providing an expert who's an MD, PhD. I'm providing uh, a statement from a uh, psychiatrist, MD, who knows that you're, you don't know. So if you have the thing and, and I have my experts saying it, then that's enough to, to, should be to turn the tide. You got to prove my expert is not good enough. And if I weigh my expert against this expert, you got been to medical school for two years. <laughs> he did a ro- rotation for two months at a psych ward <laughs> and then with no papers, he's not written in, he or she's not written anything, then I like my chances when we get to Bitcoin. So it starts off with filling out a claim, decision review off. I mean, the decision uh, is made, the rating decision. After the rater goes, we can appeal that to the decision review officer. After we appeal that to the decision review officer, we can go to what's called the Board of Veterans Appeal. And that's the first time we get lawyers kind of looking at it, judges, administrative law judges, then we can appeal that to the U.S. Court of Appeals for Veterans Claim in D.C. And that's the big court. We'll write these long briefs and we show the, the court why the lower level made a mistake. And that's when the veteran and the VA are on equal footing because we're suing the Secretary of Veterans Affairs at that point in big, big court. So we've given them the chance. And at my office, we work with them and stay with them. 8777 Winters, Veterans Defender, we stay with them every step of the way as we keep increasing um, uh, their appeal. And the great thing about it is whenever it comes, they're, we, you know, we get them paid from the moment that they started pursuing that claim. So if it's years, then they get years of back pay. Uh, and that's to try to make this veteran uh, make him or her whole. Oh, most definitely. So it sounds like you really have a passion for helping veterans. Um, And so anybody out there watching, if you are a veteran or you know someone that could benefit from his services, most definitely contact him. Are you just licensed in particular states or do y'all have a team like all over that people can use? Yeah. So 
Well, the VA law is federal law. So I'm admitted before the U.S. Court of Appeals for Veterans Claim, and that allows you to go before that highest level court there. Um, and that's the U.S. federal court there in D.C. Uh, I'm admitted before the Office of General Counsel. I'm an accredited attorney. So before you can start working with veterans to be paid, um, you have to be accredited. So they can look that up to see if a lawyer is accredited. You, and it's not that many in, in each state that are doing this. Um, you know, we are always trying to increase that um, because we can't be everywhere. I, I my, my law practice is nationwide because they could be in Mississippi. I'm here in California and I can work their case. Uh, they could just call us at 877-WINTERS or go to veteransdefender.com. But you're right. We do have a passion for this. Uh, that's veterans with an S, defender, no S, veteransdefender.com. Um, we do have a passion this. In fact, this past week, we just um, on Sunday, on November the 8th, with the mayor of Baton Rouge, uh, we just did the Red Stick Veterans Week kickoff. You know, we did a big um, battle run, veterans battle run and scavenger hunt throughout Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And then we came back, we had uh, bands and speakers that talked about mayor was our keynote. Uh, we had U.S. Congressman uh, uh, Graves, um, was one of our speakers, Vice Chancellor Donald North, uh, and we had the Mike Foster Project, Next Nuts, bands performed, a lot of food vendors. We had the Louisiana National Guard. Uh, we had three units from the Louisiana National Guard that, that participated, and they even did habit uh, testing. It was an open air, responsible, completely social distant, uh, mask worn. Um, so, you know, that's what we have to do is continue to raise awareness. Um, continue to raise awareness, uh, continue to let people know that we care about our veterans. Even though we have it happening, we have we just went through this election and, and, and elected new leaders um, uh, of the free world. And so it's all of these things are critical, but we still have to take care of our veterans. So they can always uh, go to the, the VA website to determine who some accredited attorneys are, uh, and they can look for somebody that's close to them. Uh, but our system works well for us. Uh, my headquarters is in Baton Rouge. Uh, I live here in California. But we do everything digitally. Private, we're not having people in the office running back and forth. We're not risking our staff. Yeah, COVID, yeah, like, no, we're not. <laughs> we're, not we're not doing that. So we, we, we do everything digitally. And that's great for the veterans. It allows them to quickly uh, kind of have us on their team, working with them. And we're there with them that process. We understand how long it takes. We understand that this is, and we're with them in the long haul and we don't get paid. We don't get paid if the veteran doesn't get paid. Mm. We paid any money up front from the veteran as it relates to the VA cases. Those other cases are different, but right. <laughs> uh, in, yeah, in fact, you know, we really, um, we don't take clients unless it's a veteran or a uh, family member or veteran or an active duty or military uh, member or their family members. We won't even I won't even accept clients. Oh, wow. So, hey, you guys, look, <laughs> he's your man. If you have a um, situation going on, definitely reach out to him, um, veteransdefender.com. I'll definitely post all of that in the show notes. This will be uploaded on your favorite podcasting streaming sites, Apple, Google Play, Spotify. Definitely share with a friend. Um, any last words you want to say to our audience, attorney winners? 
Yes, thank you so much, Miss Watson, for allowing me. You so uh, really impressed with your brand, Solux Life, and I love your real estate company. You're very talented, and I'm so honored that you allowed me on your show. Ah, uh, most definitely. I'm honored to have you. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you.